You're listening to The Fully Occupied Show, presented by Occupier. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Fully Occupied Show. Thanks for joining. Uh, we got a pretty interesting episode for you today. Uh, Paul Stanton from PropTech Bankers is joining us. Paul has not only a real estate investment background, a brokerage background, and a PropTech background, but now he is uh, starting a firm or has started a firm that is looking at uh, investment banking in the PropTech space. Um, he's got some bold predictions for consolidation, for M&A, uh, for valuations, fundraising uh, in the prop tech space over the next 12 months. Uh, so sp- specifically, if you're a prop tech founder, this is a really good episode to kind of get the lay of the land of, of the landscape out there today. Uh, but Paul is generally just a really smart dude, and uh, we had a great conversation. So we hope you enjoy. Hey, Paul, welcome to the Fully Occupied Show. Thanks for joining us. Matt, thanks so much. Excited to be here. Yeah, um, I've been been eager to have this conversation with you. There's just so much going on, and you're right in the middle of everything. Um, so we'll dive into some uh, interesting topics here. But why don't you uh, tell our audience a little bit about yourself and your background? Thanks, Matt. Excited to be here. We are uh, a boutique investment bank focused exclusively on prop tech. Uh, we launched about eight months ago, which was you know kind of just before the capital market started to fall apart. So it's been an interesting, uh, an interesting last few months. Cool. What led you to being a boutique uh, prop tech banker? Because that seems to me like, I mean, I'm in this space, I know it, and I can I can understand what the interest uh, there would be. But um, how do you how do you end up doing that? Uh, it, it's a very unlikely path to being an investment banker. Uh, I started out, I actually started as a lawyer uh, and then got into real estate, private equity, doing mostly uh, value add office investments. Uh, and while I was doing that, you know, I really became disenchanted with the office industry generally. Uh, we were buying, uh, you know, redevelopment projects, you know, large office buildings in secondary markets and putting, you know, at the time, especially in Chicago, we were being forced to put kind of, uh, you know, the tenant lounges, the fitness centers, et cetera. But they were check the box. Nobody ever used them. And I was actually officing. The, the group was based in Philadelphia, but I was officing out of New York. And I took an office in a WeWork back in 2014. And they had a mobile app and everything was connected. And there was a layer of hospitality. So I, I long story short, I left uh, real estate private equity to become a prop tech founder. Uh, and I founded a, a tenant experience platform that was more of a tech-enabled operation, uh, bringing community management plus, you know, uh, a mobile app, basically, to large Class A office buildings. Grew that across a number of markets, uh, and then ultimately, the past three to four years uh, have been focused on, um, you know, next gen management models and ad- advising and consulting in the prop tech space. And you know, as I've gone through that process, uh, I, I got pulled into a number of M and A conversations, um, and you know, started consulting on M and A uh, and working with bankers uh, that were stepping into this space who really couldn't articulate the strategies and the stories. And there's just so much nuance to, to prop tech and commercial real estate. So, um, you know, realized that if I was providing most of the value, I might as well get paid like an investment banker. So um, and, and simultaneously, my partner, Sandor, uh, who was a career investment banker and then real estate private equity fund manager, uh, he saw an opportunity to bring 
investment banking services to this uh, to this industry, really, because PropTech kind of looks like FinTech did 10 to 15 years ago. And there were some uh, investment banks that popped up focused purely on FinTech uh, that did very, very well. So um, he went to the godfather, Michael Beckerman, and was looking for someone that could uh, that he could partner with and uh, and that, that knew the space and could put deals together. And I was kind of looking for the same thing. So it was serendipity. We, we came together about eight months ago, uh, started PropTech Bankers. We're going to kind of fly under the radar initially. And um, we got mandates and, and demand immediately. So kind of came out of the closet and have been, uh, have been very busy uh, over the past few months. Awesome. <clears throat> I thought it was interesting how you said that PropTech looks a lot like FinTech did when it was, it was rising. What do you mean by that? Is it is it the is it the just sheer volume of companies trying to solve problems in the in the real estate space, or is it is there some other aspect of the fintech space that is parallel to like what we're doing here in PropTech? Yeah, I mean, I think it it was born out of you know another complex industry that was very nuanced that you know was hard to you know it's it's hard to understand the uh, you know mechanics of different financial transactions if you haven't you know been a party to those financial transactions. Similar to in prop tech, you know, it's really hard to build something for an office building or multifamily building or an industrial asset without actually having worked in that space and seeing the inefficiencies. So you know, in that way, it's, it was two complex industries. Um, and that what came out of that was lots of point solutions, right? So, you know, especially in PropTech, there have just been all these point solutions over the past, you know, call it 10 plus years um, as the industry has kind of taken shape. And now you're seeing demand for, you know, land, you know to, to use an office landlord as, as an example, they don't want to be dealing with 20 different groups. They don't want to have 20 different pricing models, 20 different, you know, uh, value propositions, 20 different customer support people. Um, so, you know, you're starting to just see very naturally um, you know, kind of category leaders become consolidators. And we could talk more about that a bit. Um, but, you know, I, I, we're now seeing this demand for end to end platforms. Um, and so that's where, you know, we really see, you know, this all bubbling over, you know, similar to what, you know, happened in like 2005 in, in FinTech when there was a lot of consolidation there. Yeah. Um, and then layer in, of course, the, uh, you know, this, this, looming recession or recession that we're currently in and the tightening of the capital markets. And it just kind of makes a perfect storm for it. Yeah. So I would imagine after the great financial crisis or whatever, there was this massive consolidation of fintech platforms. People were then looking for, yes, that end-to-end solution. Um, and you can, you're, you're basically saying, I see that coming here in the prop tech space. So you're eight months into it. You're super busy. Um, you've started this in in a time where there's a lot of uncertainty in the, in the real estate market, especially on the office side, right? We'll start with um, the capital markets. Um, what are valuations looking like today for prop tech companies trying to raise capital? And then maybe we can move up the food chain to some of those larger companies that are like the potential consolidators that you see, because I think one of the knocks on the prop tech space is that there haven't been too many like um, big exits over the last 10 mm-hmm. years. There's been a lot of, point solutions out there. There's obviously some category leaders, but you're not having these massive unicorn valuations going public um, like you would in maybe, you know, consumer space or maybe even in the residential space. So mm-hmm. like where to lay the land for us a little bit uh, in terms of, you know, how we got to the spot we're in right now um, from a prop tech perspective and then like what that might look like going forward for growth um, of the prop tech sector. Sure. So, 
can unpack a few things there. You know, I think uh, on exits, right? It's really how you define, how broadly you define prop tech. Um, you know, if, if you're, you know, thinking about it in, across all the food groups, including single family, I mean, you know, that's something that's been really interesting to me. I've spent a lot of my career on the commercial side and not on, you know, the single family side. But when right. you look at single family, it's it's just a lot more evolved. That, that food group of prop tech, you know, you're seeing you know, multi-time founders now that have, you know, started several prop tech companies with, with larger exits. I mean, you've got, you know, the guys that have come out of Zillow, um, you've got, you know, people that have come out of, of Airbnb, et cetera. And people sometimes forget that those are, you know, actually prop tech platforms. Um, you know, as, as can be argued, you know, the, even the kayaks, Expedia's, et cetera, um, you know, or, or prop tech uh, platforms just more focused on, on consumer than, than B2B. Um, but, you know, within kind of the commercial space, I mean, again, it's just so nuanced and there's been so many small point solutions that I think we're not going to really see those big exits and those big opportunities until we see this first, you know, wave of real consolidation, uh, you know, from point solutions to platforms, which, you know, is, is happening in real time now. Um, so jumping back to, to kind of what you started with on uh, the capital market side, I mean, valuations are, you know, They've obviously come down quite a bit, um, but they, I, you know, I would argue they look a lot more normal today than they looked 18 months ago. Like this is more like, you know, normal, steady state than, than where we were 18 months ago when people were getting, you know, 30, 40 X valuations on like two and a half mil in revenue, which was just ridiculous. Um, so, I mean, you know, I think it's normalizing and I think there is definitely capital out there, but I think, you know, investors are just being a lot more disciplined and they're focused on companies that have strong growth rates um, and who are managing their burn thoughtfully, just like being good entrepreneurs. Um, and I think, you know, that's really where, you know, you're going to see a lot of washout over the next 12 months is there, there are a lot of, you know, even bigger names in this space who, you know, people might think of as today, the leaders within PropTech who, you know, got valuations that were too high, who never really found product market fit. Like they could tell stories and they could win contracts, but they're, you know, the, their technology hasn't really proven out, you know, it's ROI. And, you know, and in the meantime, they've tried to grow too quickly and, uh, you know, spend exorbitant resources. Their burn profile looks terrible. Um, they're not growing at the rate that they promised they would grow. And so I think that's kind of what's going to cut. Those are the companies that are really struggling to raise capital right now and even find a home from an M&A perspective. Um, despite having relatively large footprints. So, you know, I think you're going to start to see, uh, you know, those groups fall away or, or get consolidated with a number of other groups. Um, and, the, and the companies that just, you know, have good standard business metrics will continue to get funded. But, you know, valuations are going to be somewhere between like 6 and 12 now, realistically, um, you know, for good, solid companies. You're not going to get 25x and, you know, you're probably looking at, you know, more focused on last 12 months of revenue rather than some, you know, forward projection tied to all of these unknowns, which is how people were kind of anchoring their valuations uh, in the past 18 months. So, um, you know, just everything's going to become a lot more realistic. And I think, you know, for prop tech founders and CEOs, it's just, you know, a good time to be reminded that like you need to build solid, profitable companies. Like that's, that's yeah, that was kind, that, kind of the takeaway. Yeah, it's not only a solid, profitable company, but it's like solving problems that exist. Because exactly I, one 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 area of 
of like, I, I would say, I guess, startups in general, but, you know, it seems like if the money's easy, like to raise, it's very tempting to try to solve a problem that's not really there. Right. And mm -hmm. those probably are the companies that are in, in the worst position. But when, when you look at the consolidation space that let's say it's going to happen over the next 24 months or whatever, who, who are the companies and you don't need to name them, but like, what's the profile of company that's looking to, um, consolidate smaller players? How, how, like, if you look at like the buy and the sell of your world, um, who's out there looking to, uh, pick up another company in their portfolio that might be able to kind of plug into their, their ecosystem that creates that kind of end to end experience for the, for the end user Are those PE firms or those, uh, larger technology companies that might not necessarily be quote unquote prop tech companies. I mean, what's that, what's that landscape look like? Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the way I, I have organized in, in lots of my notes and, you know, how we think about companies internally is, um, you know, when you think about M&A within each of these categories is, you know, you've got your consolidators, um, you've got your uh, category leaders, um, you've got your, what I would call niche owners, which are kind of new problems that are being solved in a, in a unique way um, where there's not a lot of competition. And then you've got your zombies. Um, so, you know, the, the consolidators right now are, you know, there's a couple big PE firms that have gotten involved in prop tech. Um, you know, you've got like Toma Bravo and, v and Vista who have made some, you know, some moves recently. Then you've got your, uh, you know, global services providers. So CBRE and JLL, and they each have kind of their own strategy that they're kind of building as they're flying the plane right now. But, um, you know, they're, they're obvious consolidators for a number of reasons, primarily because they do provide the services and they can couple the technology with their services. Um, so they're built in channel partners. Um, then you've got, you know, some of your large legacy players call that the co-stars, the Siemens, the Johnson controls, um, you know, even some of the big access control providers. Um, and then you've got, um, you know, additional PE. Uh, and that's where I think there's the most opportunity. And, you know, so there, there's debt. We, we talk to, you know, the PE groups all the time and there's definitely interest. It's just a function of, you know, can you, you know, connect a few companies together that, that meet the ticket sizes that these guys need. Right. And, you know, for better or worse uh, with valuations being lower, it's even harder uh, to, you know, weave two to three companies together that meet the 150 to $200 million check sizes that these private equity groups need to be deploying. Um, so that's going to be the real kind of art and science, I think, over the next 24 months as, as PE, you know, gets into this and, and has real operating chops as far as like how to consolidate companies properly. It's going to be, you know, what, what companies can we put together to make, you know, uh, a large enough transaction size, but then a really compelling offering to the market off the back of that. And, and that's a lot of what we're working on right now. Um, cool. So, so that that's kind of the consolidation side, the category leaders, I would say are like players that have like, you know, use tenant experience as an example. Like there's, there's a few tenant experience leaders, but tenant experience now as a category is not, you know, it, 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 it needs to evolve into something larger. So I think, you know, those groups, you know, like a, like a VTS, uh, who, who's now in tenant experience with rise, you know, they've really become a consolidator in the sense that they have, 
you know, expanded into tenant experience, leasing management, et cetera. Um, so, you know, you either evolve out of tenant experience or you get, you know, kind of rolled into one of those larger consolidation plays. Then you've got your niche owners that are attacking new problems that are new and unique. And I think they'll continue to like stay focused on those problems. And then ultimately, you know, if it's if it's the right time to to jump off the train, you know, onto a larger, you know, uh, platform that's doing consolidation and great. Otherwise, they can kind of keep their head down and wait for the next wave. Um, and then you have your zombies, which is, you know, unfortunately where most companies lie. And those are, you know, the walking dead, right? They're, they're still alive. They still have a little bit of cash flow, but like they're not attractive enough to raise any more money. They're not attractive enough to be merged or, or acquired. And so ultimately, you know, it's, they're, they're playing a game of desperation of trying to get somebody to buy them. And, and those are, you know, that, that's definitely a place that you don't want to be in, but unfortunately, you know, if, unless you're really big, I, you know, as a founder, I would say, cut your losses, go find, you know, go find something else to do because, you know, bleeding out for the next 12 months is not going to be a fun thing when you could be applying what you know to, you know, your next concept. I, I think you're right in the sense that like it, it's normalized, right? Valuations have normalized, but I think the challenge over raising money over the next 12 to 18 months, call it, is that investors are just going to be much more discerning with, with the type of companies that they invest in. Um, so it's going to be, there's just going to be, you're going to be challenged to, I guess, stand out more than you would previously where there was a little bit more appetite for just deploying capital. So yeah, yeah. Not a, not a good time to be bleeding out right now. No, um, no, never is obviously, but I mean, especially right now. But but also, I you know, I I do think a good time to be starting companies, especially for you know uh, folks that have been around the space for a while. I mean, now is definitely like the last twelve months weren't necessarily the best time to be you know because there was just too much uncertainty. But now is you know within every asset class is the world's returning to normal. I think now is really the time for groups that you know for folks that have been around the industry for a while now who, who really have a lot of, you know, subject matter expertise to start, you know, exploring new ideas. And I think doing that, you know, I think what's really interesting about uh, from a capital markets perspective is, is seeing some of the really large commercial real estate owners um, roll out their own kind of dedicated, uh, dedicated funds um, and, and really building out their internal uh, innovation teams. And I think there's, you know, finally, a lot of opportunity to, to build products alongside these larger portfolios. You know, if you were starting a company five or six years ago, it was really hard to go pitch, you know, a Heinz or, or a, a Brookfield or a Tishman on, you know, working together and, and you know, structuring uh, some type of deal where, where they had ownership in it. And, and in return, you could really spend time working across their portfolio. And I think that's kind of the new opportunity. Um as as these folks are committing serious resources and bringing in folks from outside commercial real estate, which is what I'm most excited about. You know, when you look at like Heinz recently bringing in Doug Holty, um, and you've got Bridge bringing in Jeremy Ford, and a, just, just a bunch of other you know uh, prominent owners who are investing in human resources outside of traditional real estate is like that's what I love to see because forever it's just been like you know, the old white haired guy that like, you know, was a master of the universe uh, and never really thought about, you know, expanding into, you know, innovation and, and technology. And so it's great to see. Yeah. It's kind of the evolution, right? Like 10 years ago, it was hard to convince that old white haired guy to even evaluate third party technology. 
then they started realizing, oh, there's some actually good stuff out here that I could deploy within my company and it's going to drive all these inefficiencies and I see the ROI. Now it's like the light bulb's coming out, uh, coming on because there's so much uncertainty and change happening in, happening in, in real estate, especially on the commercial side in general, that they're like, well, why don't I dance and get involved in, 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 in this? Because I have money. Like I don't have to rely on these other providers to figure it out for me when I, when I can do it myself. So I, I think that's an awesome thing too, because that's the validation of PropTech itself, I think. Um, 100%, let's go down, that's well yeah, said. Let's go down like another layer deeper. What are some of like the subcategories of PropTech that are kind of having a moment that are like in a really good position? Like, you know, um, whether it's, I mean, you mentioned some of the darlings like the Airbnbs and the Zillows of the world. But if we if we looked across like all the sectors and we don't have to spend a ton of time <laughs> diving deep into each of them, but like what are what are the areas right now that are are, are basically looking better? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's going back to what, you know, I think we were talking about earlier, which is just, you know, solving real problems and, um, you know, having kind of practical application. Um, and so, you know, I think access control is definitely I mean, it's been. Uh, a piece of the industry that's been around forever, but but really the kind of cloud-based softwares around access control that are managing the access of, you know, who has access at what time to what place. I mean, that's really kind of like the macro solution for the built world, right? And access control and the, the you know, the cloud-based solutions like Swift Connect that are kind of solving that, you know, omnipotent, like, or becoming that omnipotent platform to to manage access to spaces and doors. Like I think whoever figures that out is ultimately going to own the industry. I mean, that's a bold statement, but I think everything else that's out there around, especially around, you know, that touches the actual, you know, buildings themselves um, can be very simply layered into the access control platform. Um, so, you know, I think that th those cloud-based access control solutions are, um, you know, hot and, and, and rightfully so. Um, I would say the enterprise tech stack. So, you know, what, you know, now, now that companies, you know, are shifting their own workplace trends and it, you know, they, it requires, you know, this omni-channel dynamic approach to managing your employees and their spaces. I mean, access control is a part of that as well, but it's really, you know, where you guys sit at the very onset of that, which is, you know, the sort you know, that the management of leasing and the finding of spaces and then, you know, the marketplaces and then how you're actually managing, you know, the on-site experience for your employees. Um, I think, you know, now the, the workplace managers are, are really leaning in, um, you know, to this technology really as an extension of their HR technology. And, you know, yep. it's interesting seeing those two kind of over those two ca categories overlap HR tech and, and prop tech, um, and, and could be argued in, in, you know, as being part of either cat, the, the solutions could be argued as being part of either category. So, you know, and, and they're ultimately the ones that the occupiers are the ones that are going to be able to drive ultimately, if there is, you know, if there needs to be some elegant integration between the, the occupier software and the, uh, the building software occupiers are going to drive that all day long. Um, uh, so excited to see kind of that sector of the market. And then, you know, it's, it's hard to argue that this is, uh, this is pure prop tech, but you know, what I'm really bullish on is next gen management models. Um, you know, you've seen it in the multifamily space now with, 
you know, different kind of co-living concepts and short-term rental concepts being folded, you know, creating a, a platform, a technology platform to manage it, and then kind of the actual operations to operate buildings as both, you know, traditional multifamily, longer-term leased, unfurnished, and, you know, furnished, move-in ready, shorter-term leases, and do that in the same stack and be able to, you know, basically protect your yield, right, depending on market turns, et cetera. Um, it really provides, you know, like a nice uh, opportunity to diversify. And I think we're going to start to see that in office very soon, which is, yep. you know, management of being able to manage both flex and long-term leases and flex up and down in a building. And, you know, I don't, and, you know, there's a big hospitality component to that as well and, and the ability to manage technology. And, you know, I would argue, yes, CBRE and JLL are in a decent position to like explore that um, just given their background. You know, I've spent time recently with like Equinox and, you know, spoiler alert, Equinox is, is going to be moving into office. Um, and you've got, you know, a number of other hospitality groups like the Hyatts of the world who are looking at, you know, how do they play? How do they take an extension of corporate travel and, and their corporate clients and start to move into the actual workplace experience? So. And, you know, working with a group that I'm, I'm bullish on called Lulafit, um, who started out in amenity management and yeah. now is growing into, um, you know, really be the front of house operator of office buildings. Um, so these kind of new management brands that are tech enabled, um, you know, I'm very bullish that they will take, you know, some market share away from kind of the, the traditional incumbents like CB and JLL. Yeah, we had Colleen from Lulafit uh, on the show a few months back and. It's amazing what she's doing. Um, totally buy into that vision as well. I think it's interesting how, if we bring it back to the first category you talked about, access control, that being almost seem, seeming like the holy grail of, you know, how who's going to own this macro environment. Everything that you just described um, in terms of the new operating models needs to have better access control, right? Because if, if an office building is suddenly going to be used for multi-purposes, and you're going to have different people coming in for different uses on, on a daily basis, right? You're going to have your traditional lease users and they're probably going to have their own access control system and whatever. But the rest of that building, whether it's the amenity space, the hospitality space, the co-working space, the flex office space, that's going to be a much more fluid dynamic in terms of who's in the office, when are they there, what spaces are they booking, et cetera. So yeah, I think that is spot on in terms of what's going to be most important, um, you know, we've had a bunch of guests on this show and just anecdotally talking to other owners is there is definitely a shift towards different operating models rather, rather than just your traditional, I got a box, I got to lease it. I want a 10 year and I want to cap that like that, yep. that, that, that is eventually going to kind of fade into a more of a amorphous type of, 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 of way that a building is valued at this point. Um, totally. And I think fee structures too, right? I mean, you came from, from the leasing world and know that there was, you know, you know, the tenant rep gets, you know, 4%, the, the landlord rep gets, you know, two or 3%. And then you've got, you know, property management that's taking like one and a half percent of effective gross revenue on a building. And now you've got amenity management and now you've got like IT spend. 
And I think ultimately, you know, if you look at hotels, right, there's just, and, and, you know, I don't love the argument that like, you know, office is going to look more like hotels because I think there's a million reasons why that will never happen. But I think from, if you look at management structures and you look at just kind of one manager that's, you know, responsible for, you know, the leasing, the front of house management, the back of house management and deploying, you know, the right technology stack that helps to inform them on how to better operate the building. Like, you know, you could see just a consolidation of fees into just like one clear, like 5% of, you know, of revenue of an office building. And within that 5%, we have, you know, the on-site leasing, the front of house, the back of house management and all the tech. Like, I think that's ultimately where we get to from an operation standpoint in these buildings. Yep. Yep. And then the service services companies are going to have to adapt to that and, and be able to play in that space. Exactly. You know, property managers or leasing brokers or facilities managers, whatever. So, um, Paul, awesome conversation here. I was going to ask you what your predictions for the prop tech space were, but I think we, I think we hit on that throughout this conversation. Um, let's transition over to our rapid fire questions. We got five questions for you. Um, and we're going to give you a minute to answer them. Maybe even less, uh, if they're one word answers, which are totally cool with, uh, question number one, how do you start your mornings? Um, I would, I'd love to give you some Tony Robbins answer that I, uh, you know, wake up at four and, you know, put myself in some cryogenic something and then make my own ginger juice. But, um, it, I, you know, it depends on the morning. Uh, you know, without fail, I'm up at three, usually one day a week because I'm too stressed out about something and need to spend, you know, have six hours of uninterrupted time. But, you know, other than that, work out some days and eat breakfast rarely. Yeah. Same. Um, question two, what's your favorite book? Uh, favorite book, just read a book called um, A Gentleman in Moscow, which I really liked because it was all about adapting to your circumstances rather than wishing your circumstances were different. Cool. I'll, I'll have to bookmark that one. Um, if you had the ability to time travel, would you go into the past or would you go into the future? Uh, I'd go into the future to see who who wins the return to office war on LinkedIn. <laughs> oh God, the return to office <laughs> war on LinkedIn. Like I think we got to turn the page on that at some point. To be honest. Oh with no you. kidding. Um, uh, every once in a while, though, it's good to get dabble into the conversation. But um, all right, question four: uh, What's the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Um, everybody's suffering. I think that's an important thing to keep in mind that uh, and it's come from several sources, but, you know, understanding that, uh, you know, everyone you're talking to and everyone you're working with throughout the day is suffering through their own stuff. Um, and when you can keep that in mind, you can be compassionate and much more present. And, you know, I think really build stronger relationships, which is not just good for business, but, you know, for just leading a happy life. Agreed. Agreed. Especially today after everyone's been been through so much over the last few years, you know? Um, exactly cool and our final question is a standard if we had if we had uh two guests to invite to the show who who would you recommend uh two guests guests to invite to the show i would i would throw i'd throw a couple maybe a couple not curveballs but not traditional prop tech guys there's uh there's guys from um watchung capital they're based here in new york um that are uh, it, it's Tom Stoltz and Max Priest, and they are partnering with a lot of these next gen management platforms, um, not in office yet, but you know, in industrial and single family to be 
kind of the owner um, that is buying buildings, but in partnership with, you know, these different tech enabled solutions or, or prop tech solutions, which, you know, Opco, Propcos have been, you know, kind of more, uh, a bigger and bigger theme and, and these guys are actually executing on it. So um, I would say those guys and um, there's another group uh, on the ownership side too, uh, Risk Ventures. Um, there, there's Jeff Risk and um, uh, Pete Hansen from over there, but I think they're 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 similarly, you know, owners that are investing in their own technology, building their own technology, um, and using that to you know different you know create different operating models. And because ultimately, I think you know if you want to really see like the forest from the trees, like all prop tech exists to try and create efficiency, create transparency, et cetera. So it's really how valuable it is to the owner. So I think when owners really get involved and roll up their sleeves and solve their own problems, that's where, you know, the industry really starts to like, you know, make sense and find product market fit. So, uh, yeah, I think both of those groups are doing it in their own way, which, you know, I, I think is really interesting and, and helps me continue to frame like, you know, how I think about the future of the space is really, you know, what do those guys need? Cool. Well, Paul, it's been great. We'll have to have you back on in about 12 to 18 months and see if all of these predictions have come true. And hopefully um, we'll have a little bit more to talk about then. But um, if, if our audience wanted to look you up or find you, how would they do that? Uh, LinkedIn is LinkedIn's probably best um, or uh, our, our website, uh, proptechbankers.com. Awesome. Paul, appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on. Awesome. Thanks so much, Matt. Have a great one. You too.